Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for December 16th, 2010. We're just 365 days since ARIA opened to save the city of Las Vegas forever. Let me go around the table to introduce... It's not a virtual table today. We've got real guests. First, we have a guest, a special guest. We have Mr. Steve Fries, the co-host of The Strip Podcast, Las Vegas Weekly Columnist, uh, amongst other things. Steve, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Mr. Jeff Simpson, author of the fabulous Simpson on Vegas column on Two Way Heard 3. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks. I'm greetings. Um, live via phone, we have Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? Hey, it's going on? And, last but not least, Dr. Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave. Hey there. My name's Hunter Hilligus, and you can find me at RateVegas.com. This is a special cosmopolitan edition of uh, the show. We're sitting here in a wraparound terrace suite on the 50th floor overlooking Planet Hollywood and uh, Bellagio. Um, Cosmopolitan opened last night at 8 p.m., welcomed all of its first set of guests, uh, public. Um, Chuck, I want to start with you. You have been here for the past few days to cover the opening, and uh, I know that early this morning you posted something on Vegas Tripping to sort of explain to your readers what your experience has been like and to sort of give them a, uh, a give them some guidance when they're trying to decide if they should be booking at the concert ball in, in the near future. Correct. So, what was so, your what was your story about, and how did it go? Okay, well, uh, basically, I, I retold to a degree uh, some some stories in my life that uh, that uh, didn't really have happy endings. Uh, last night, yesterday at the concert ball. Uh, you know, I was looking forward to having a good time, just like everybody else. And, you know, I, I showed up there at 1 o'clock, as we were uh, told to do, for check-in, for early check-in. It was like a double-secret probation thing where we were told that we could uh, show up at 1 o'clock and they'd check us in. So I showed up there a little bit before that because I wanted to be early and prompt that I had all my, you know, computers and whatnot. I wanted to load up and maybe write a couple of posts about what happened the night before and, you know, just basically cover, do what I do, you know, go up to the room and write post photos and whatnot. And, uh, you know, as it turned out, they, they had to delay the, uh, uh, the, uh, giving out of rooms a little bit, just 15 minutes. I, I, I could, I'll skip the long story, but six hours later, I finally got my room. But before that, I was apologized to by all sorts of higher-ups. They uh, wanted to expedite things. I said no. Uh, but they ended up giving me a bottle of 50-year-old scotch, which was great. Uh, but I ended up drunk at the bar. Uh, none of the restaurants were open. I couldn't really leave because I had to keep checking to see if my room was open, so I couldn't go get anything to eat. And it kind of just turned into like a half a bit of a nightmare. By the time I got my room, the, one of the concerts was already started. You know, I almost missed the whole of the night. A whole bunch of other things were... It just became kind of a nightmare. You know, I'm checking into my room while everybody else is kicking ass on the floor, you know, with their suits. And I'm still wearing my gummies basically the day before. Because I showed up at Cosmo at 7 o'clock in the morning. So, the whole thing kind of turned into a little bit of a nightmare. Uh, I, I 
have the patience to know that the first day, opening day at the hotel are going to be a little bit of a mess. But uh, if I if I didn't have that, and I was just a regular guest that didn't uh, have a stupid website that people give a half a shit about, I probably would be extremely irate that I had to wait six hours to check into my room. And I'd probably demand a refund. I'd have a hissy fit and scream and yell and carry on. I'm not, I don't really have to count rates over to me. I really just want to tell people that, you know, right now, if you're going there and you want to stay in the hotel, you might encounter a bunch of problems. If you see how it's up, the design, the place, the restaurants, they're not really open. The casino's open. Looks great. You know, the, the staff is really friendly and helpful, but they don't seem like they know what they're doing. Like, they didn't really have any real, real real training, like real play dates where they actually have to act like this is a full operating hotel. It's kind of like a high school musical version of, you know, a Broadway play or a, or a local, you know, county playhouse version of, you know, a big casino operation. It's, it's not exactly, it's not ready for pasta. They need a little more time to cook. If you're going to go, be fully aware of this. Steve, did you have a comment? Well, I have a question for Chuck, which is, you had a lot of service problems with Aria, and I seem to remember that you wrote a post about six months after it was open saying you were still giving it a chance, that you had all these problems, but you were being really patient with Aria to see if yeah. they worked their things out before you sort of yeah. came up with a verdict. This time you were much faster. How come? Um, you know, my first experience, the first night at Aria, was actually pleasant. I had a great time at opening night. We got into the room, no problem. Uh, we got into, you know, everything. was all set up. Everything was working. There's a couple of staff moves. Uh, the second time I went, uh, you know, there was lots of problems service, and I told people that, you know, I didn't, I didn't go full on, full board ballistic, I wanted to temper it being that it was a new property. Now, instead of uh, holding a little bit of a punch, I want to tell people so they're not upset. Maybe I made an error in judgment beforehand not to say, hey, you're going to have some problems, but I still told people, hey, we got problems. I was pretty much right about it, and happened. You know, I just want people to know, because I know people, time is a lot faster now than it was a year ago. People hear about things, they know everything about the house now, and they play it over their day for if they're really following it. Uh, and a lot of people I know are booked, so they're thinking about coming in January and February for, for sports and whatnot. You know, they just need to know that it's not an open, it's an open hotel, but they, it's, it's a totally new operation. Unlike MGM, they had they, were, they just bolted an arm onto a gigantic robot. Here, these guys are building a whole new robot. You know, and this arm might not work. And, you know, the eyeballs, the light bulbs might explode. The fuse might blow. And, you know, smoke comes out of the head. You don't really know what's happening right now. So give it some time before you go. If you really, really want to have good service, wait. Yeah, you know, I, I can sort of speak to... What seems to be, there was definitely some degree of, um, we were trying to check in and there was, there wasn't a lot of, um, now my mind is losing the word I was going for, but there wasn't a lot of coordination. There wasn't, things weren't consistent. Some people were getting, when we were first checking in, we, like Chuck said, we were told to come, we could come at one o'clock. So I showed up at like one fifteen, 
um, got in line. They tap, 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 tap away. And I was standing at the at the desk for probably 25 minutes. Well, And it was not clear exactly what was going on. They had me sign the card, the rate card. And actually, um, when you check in, you sign on an iPad instead of signing a piece of paper, which is kind of neat. But um, So they did all that, all the normal stuff you do when you check into the hotel. Uh, and, but then we were just kind of waiting. There was a lot of activity buzzing around behind the desk. But uh, they finally, the gentleman said, well... Your room's not ready. We'll take your phone number and we'll call you back. And this was happening to pretty much everybody that was in line. But they were getting keys. They for a lot of the guests, they were giving them keys without room numbers, so they they basically then could get a call and theoretically walk into the room without having to come back and wait in line. And also getting the welcome packets that had the concert stuff in it. They didn't give me anything. So you know, it's definitely there wasn't consistent. Uh, there was they had not really sketched out exactly what was what was going to happen if they had trouble. They're sort of doing some ad hoc improvisation, and it was a little bit frustrating. I mean, I will say that everybody was very friendly. Uh, it, it wasn't um, no surly angry people, but it 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 was a little bit uh, a little bit frustrating. I mean, they had told us that that they had actually pre-printed. Uh, a lot of the keys in advance that morning to try and avoid this kind of thing so that they basically could say, here are your keys, like, you're ready to go. But somehow, for some reason, and I haven't really gotten a good answer on exactly what happened, that broke down, and it seems to have something to do with, like, last-minute housekeeping issues that they, for some reason, couldn't figure out. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely fr- frustrating. Now, I got into my room a good, you know, two and a half to three hours before Chuck did, so, you know, I, I guess I was one of the lucky ones, but, um, it was, uh, that, that was not a, a not my favorite part of the whole experience. Well, I know and there were a lot of people who had a lot of problems. I mean, Mikey was telling me just earlier that he got locked in a stairwell and, uh, last night one of his friends was saying that he was on his fifth set of room keys. Um, <laughs> there were a lot of operational problems and, I suppose they're to be expected. I don't know that it's, it's, it's the moment to say this place is a disaster, but it's also not the moment to say this place is running well or that this right. is a great place and everybody should try it out yet. Right. I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, we'll have to see how quickly they can pivot and fix these problems. I mean, that was that's obviously been one of the biggest issues that ARIA had is that they never seem to get past this stuff fast enough. And, I, you know, I think... From what I hear, the, they're doing far, far, far better now a year later, but they were we were still getting reports of people having tons of problems as March, April. I mean, these things continued on for way too long. And so if that happens at the Cosmopolitan, you know, that that's going to be um, a real problem for them because they, they need a lot of things to go right for them to be a big success. They can't really afford to make these kinds of uh, fixable and avoidable mistakes. But, you know... Oh, go ahead. I'm really curious to, to know what happens today. You know, if you guys can keep your eyes on the lobby when check-in time starts, which is now, uh, you know, to see if people are getting admitted right to rooms, what's the flow, is there a lot of people, are the people more being delayed? You know, that's really what I'm, I'm interested in finding out. How long is this going to go on? Yeah. When, when can we call it all clear? Well, that's a good question, and we'll have to see. I know that um, one of the guys, you know, John, who writes for you, Chuck, was planning on checking out today, and he decided to stay, 
and they were he was able to stay in his room, and so clearly they have the capacity to be able to handle it. What is the truth about how many rooms actually opened last night? Yeah, so this is another question that no one seems to really have a straight answer on, because I believe, off the top of my head, the PR was that they were opening with 2,000 rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Chuck, I know you talked to someone who said that there were 300 guests last night. Someone told me 500. Um, yeah. Either way, that's significantly less than 2,000, though if you went on the website, you couldn't book a room because it said it was sold out. So somewhere there's some fuzzy math. If you look at the West Tower last night, there was only a speckle of light that were on the side of the the, uh, the building. So I'm pretty sure that most of that tower was closed. Yeah, that, I mean, I don't know anybody that stayed on that side of on in that part of the building. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was even nobody. <laughs> you know, the, the question that I have, maybe in the future we should try to get a guest on who's a property GM or hotel manager. It might be that opening a hotel is a lot harder than all of us think it is, because it seems like a lot of really smart people with a ton of experience have had a lot of trouble doing it. And, you know, I just haven't seen it gone that right. That's, it going right seems to be the exception rather than the rule. So I'm wondering why it consistently is such a problem. Like, if you know Palazzo problems, Aria lots of problems, you know, you would think you've got time to prepare, all right, we're going to hit this and we're going to make sure no problems. Well, it's it's sort of funny among all the casino executives that I've talked to during casino opening times, all of them have been amazingly confident about how things will go except for Wynn, who seems to wring his hands and suffer from anxiety during the couple months before opening. And he goes through a lot of practice um, days with his staff. But their openings always work better or seem to have worked better, at least at Wynn and Encore, than those at Aria, Cosmopolitan, certainly Venetian and Palazzo. And, uh, And I think that, you know, it really is difficult. I mean, there's so many different systems that they have to make sure are working correctly, um, and and I think that that you that that attitude that there's going to be trouble and try and anticipate what it will be, figure out what it will be, and react quickly is so important. There's a kind of I don't want to say it's arrogance or overconfidence, but there's a there. Among some executives in town who maybe don't have the experience opening hotels that others do, those folks maybe are a little overconfident. And um, it sounds like that's what we've seen again here, um, possibly if, you know, Chuck's experience and um, Hunter's experience have been uh, duplicated by a lot of others. Well, it's also kind of interesting because opening a Vegas resort is so different than anything else. I mean, you can open just a, a hotel, or you can open just a restaurant, or you can open things in different... But the expectation, the media attention, the, the analysis, the number of people standing outside waiting just to walk around. I mean, even the nicest hotel in New York City, when it opens, doesn't have hordes of people just looking to, like, look underneath the <laughs> sheets and stuff, you know, in between the seats and stuff. I mean, the pressure is so enormous, and it is such a huge number of people who have to do their things right. And the thing I will say, like like, like Hunter said, is that everybody I encountered at the Cosmo in the last day or two was so excited to have a job, 
so excited to be doing their job, so excited people were there to help. There were people who were just sort of around in places I wouldn't expect, like, on certain levels of the garage and things like that. So, I mean, I think they have the fundamentals of a lot of it. It's the, it's the, it's, it's these, like, basic things like getting people into their rooms and making sure the keys are right and, you know, giving you your, your breakfast in, in a reasonable amount of time that, you know, they take time, I guess, to figure out. So, but, but um, you know, but you when you interviewed Steve, when you interviewed John Unwin and Hunter, when you and Chuck talked to him, my sense was, you know, he's uh, he's saying, you know, I was at Caesar's Palace for five years. I've opened all these hotels for Ian Schrager. You know, I'm a hotelier and I have this under control. And and now he said he was you know anxious and he couldn't wait. But you know, there's a big difference from opening a Schrager boutique hotel that has a couple food venues and maybe a couple other things. Steve hit it right on the head. Um, there, you know, you have a concert, you have all these food venues, you have a, you know, maybe it wasn't a couple thousand hotel rooms in operation, but you do have, you know, a casino gaming floor, you have, the, you know, a, a, a huge parking operation. I mean, there there are so many balls to be juggled. And... I think that it's, it is just very different and very difficult, and there's probably no way to ensure to ensure you know perfection. But you really, it really takes experience, I think, and hiring a lot of people who've opened mega resorts before to be able to have a, a high likelihood of success. You know, I don't think I'd ever get the chance to do this, but I'd love to explore the anatomy of the opening failures and see what it is. And it's kind of like if I was late showing up here because I blew it off and I got distracted by playing Galaga and was just wandering around, that would be one thing. That's one kind of failure. If I'm late because a fuel line in my car breaks or my transmission goes and I'm stuck, that's another kind of failure. And I'm wondering what the deal is with the rooms being late checked in, you know. It seems like everybody, everybody I talk to seems really well motivated and happy and on the ball. You know, so I don't know if it's that kind of problem or if it's just that, hey, some key system failed and there was no redundancy. Speak to the systems thing for a minute, though, because one of the points that Unwin has made in several interviews is that he has not been encumbered by legacy anything because Mm -hmm. they get to start from scratch. So that would imply that they got to pick the best of breed systems to do these jobs. And if they're still, if they're going, you know, assuming that they do blame it on something like that, that doesn't speak too well to that process and whatever they decide. Well, I mean, the people wouldn't have much experience working with those systems in their past jobs because they're probably new, state-of-the-art, different from what they've worked with before. You know, one thing, one of the kinds of opening problems, and I don't know, it doesn't seem like that is in effect here. There are a couple venues I've seen that are not open yet, a couple little restaurant things that aren't open, but almost everything looks like it's going to be ready to go. I mean, and I don't know about the hotel room numbers, so that will also be interesting to check. But one kind of problem that doesn't seem like was in effect here, um, the importance of opening everything or almost everything at once. Um, They generally succeeded at ARIA in doing that, I think, or at City Center, certainly at at, um, Wynn and Encore. Um, but where they haven't, where they don't succeed, and really don't seem to care about it, is Las Vegas Sands with Venetian and Palazzo and their openings, and even overseas, they sort of seem to have a, an idea, 
you know, we're going to have a moving target, but we're going to open things when they're ready, start the revenue coming in. And they don't really jack up the expectations of the public like Wynn does, like Unwin did here, and absolutely like MGM Mirage or Resorts, but then Mirage did. Um, at, at Venetian and Palazzo, they just bring things on when they're ready, and maybe like a month or two later, everything is working. I won't say smoothly. Steve and uh, Hunter used to look at a piece of tape that was still stuck to the ceiling, if I remember correctly. But, it can um, still be there. It know. may still be there. But, um, you know, they, they don't ramp up the expectations of the media and the public either. They just sort of get everything ready as fast as they can and start people coming in, start making some money. And, you know, who's to say that that's wrong? Um, we do have that tradition of the big grand opening here where everything's going or almost everything is. But, um, you know, maybe it's better to downplay expectations at the start so you don't get a, a, neg- a, a group negative response. That is a fantastic point. I mean, that is something I hadn't even thought about. But that is a great, great point. There is this, like, like convergence, this notion that everything has to be done at once and we all have to be able to, like, use everything all at once. And, you know, maybe, maybe they don't get the credit they deserve for the fact that they don't care. Because, you know what? Broadway shows don't do that. Other sorts of entertainment don't just open. They have previews, and then they open. And when they're ready, when they think they're ready, then they say, come on in, guys, judge us. And they don't do that here. Right. I mean, the grand opening is definitely more fun from the perspective oh, yeah. <laughs> of, a, of a customer or a tourist, right? I mean, you know, and that's why you do get those crowds of people out there, and they benefit tremendously from that because there's this one bang moment that they can point to when they're doing all of their media and they can get folks like Nightline to come in and they, they I don't, that would probably be harder to do if you were you know spreading out these openings over a longer period of time because there wouldn't be a nexus that people would yeah people would use to and there's logistics of it too you know do you want to still be working in the hotel tower and bringing in furniture and doing that kind of loading while you've already got guests in the hotel right you know do you you've obviously got to do everything to get your TCO and get their certificate of occupancy. You know, you can't be doing fire testing and stuff while people are in it. So I think some of it has to be done, but yeah, a lot of it, they could try to roll out a little bit later. I mean, if you remember Palazzo's opening, we were in the newsroom. I mean, typically, you know, you know a time, and they just wouldn't say a time. <laughs> and we heard that some people from Venetian were had just wandered over and were walking to the casino and, you know, nobody does it like that. And, and you know, and, and I think, Hunter, you're right. And, and, and Steve, in the media, we have this expectation of being catered to. You know, here's your, you know, pre-opening, you know, dinner where we're going to talk to you about everything and show you around. And, you know, they just don't do that over there. But, I'm not, you know, I, I, I just am hesitant to criticize them because when you look at the performance of their properties later... They've been very well. They've been able to do well in spite of the the limited, you know, pre-opening publicity, you know, um, tactic that almost all the other resorts use. So it, it is interesting well, to look at those two different strategies. I've got a lawyer's convention from Singapore that wants to talk to you about how well they are doing it. Right. Well, no, but that's the same thing. You know, they open up over there. They opened up in Singapore. They open up, you know, they, they get the place open and they, they try and live up to their deals. But, but 
you know, they they maybe weren't totally ready, but, you know, from Sands' perspective, they're like, oh, you know, we'll see. And they negotiated with them, and they settled that deal. Um, you know, I... I, I don't necessarily, I mean, from my perspective, from what I've covered, I do enjoy that everything's ready to go, let's roll it out and see what people, you know, and, and fix what you need to. But they, they just don't do that. And, you know, I, I'm hesitant. I, I've been critical of it, but um, I'm sort of, sort of reappraising whether I should be as critical. Well, you know, I mean, you may you made the reference to this being an opening disaster, or were you just specifically talking about specific incidents? Oh, just in general. Uh, this, this was not a disaster for me. I know Chuck no, not. I mean, was different. I would not. I wouldn't call. It, I'm just thinking in general. Kind of the anatomy, of the opening failures. Like, why do things go wrong in the opening? Sure. Is it technology failures? Right. Is it people not communicating? Right. Is it incompetence or is it bad yeah, luck? Yeah. Um, all right. I want to sort of switch gears here for a minute and talk a little bit about people's impressions of the hotel and the casino for the people that are listening that have not yet been here. Um, by the time you hear this, the opportunity to see photos and videos will. Probably, if you wanted to see them, you will have seen them. But, um, you know, all of us now have at least spent some time in the casino, in the hotel, and I'm just curious to see what what you guys think. And I guess I'll, I'll start um, with just a few things. Um, you know, one of the things that intrigued me about the hotel was the choice of the, of the chefs that they chose for their restaurants, because many of them are new. I think all of, all of them are new. Um, to Las Vegas, and you know they're including a, a, a Greek restaurant, which is um, also something new on the Strip. Uh, and from what I've seen so far, we got a chance to walk around and taste some little nibbles of food last night. Everything was really tasty. Um, this is actually a restaurant that I could imagine eating in every every outlet. To um, I, where I wouldn't necessarily say that about. A lot of the other places. So I'm looking forward to trying some more of the food in a real kind of sit-down um, environment. As far as the room, we, you know, we're in this, this wraparound terrace suite, which is obviously one of their high-end room products. But it's pretty knock, It's a, pretty much a knockout room. I mean, it's got this terrace that wraps around the, the edged, corner edge of the building. And it, the view is just really unbelievable. It, it, especially at night, we've got this incredible view of the fountains of Bellagio and... I would honestly say it's probably a better view than the people at Bellagio have. Uh, it, you're a little bit higher up, and you can go out there and feel the wind on your face. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome, and that's something that you really can't get anywhere else. Um, Chuck, I'm going to swing over to you for a second, make sure we get you in case we lose you. Any um, general impressions uh, about your stay? Yeah, I, I, well, not about the stay. I just want to add one thing out to the previous uh, conversation, just a, let, just a small thing. My first tip was really about just the hotel failure, not a failure of anything else. I thought everything else worked really well. The staff was great. People were friendly. The, the craft, the nice big guys were a laugh riot. Deep laugh riot. Uh, you know, everybody was nice, friendly, and, and, and it was a good place. Uh, about the, the design of the joint, uh, and I know I'm talking to a bunch of you guys already about this talk your ear off. Um, this is probably the closest we've seen to a resort that uh, has a design language that we that we've previously only seen with Roger Thomas related stuff. Uh, everything kind of you know it, 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 it's cohesive. 
uh, from the casinos and the lobby to the gigantic chandelier, you know, to the to the valet parking areas. You know, they really have a very very strong design sense. Uh, the, the cut glass and the crystals and the shine, whatnot. It, 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 it's a cohesive design. It feels good. It feels nice to be in there. The traffic flows pretty well. Uh, and people are laughing and hooting and howling and having a great time. So I think the casino floor and the public areas for the most part are, 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 are a knockout success. I think they've got a great, great product there. I do have a couple minor quibbles. I think the lighting's a little high, if you can believe that. Compared to like last year, everybody's complaining about how dark it was. Uh, Sometimes you want to see the crystals, the light going through the crystals, but you don't want to see like the wall, some of the other things around it. So I think if they turned down the lights a couple, a couple lumens, it uh, it would make the whole place kind of glow a little bit more. So that's my basic thoughts about the uh, the interior experience. Um, Dave, what about you? You spent a bunch of time here uh, over the past few days, and probably previously as well. How does it? How do you feel about this place? I mean, especially, you know, we have some context in the last few years opening new resorts, and you're seeing, you know, you're checking out resorts all the time. How, what, how, how do you think they did? I think they did well. I'm still trying to figure out the whole kind of that design language that that Chuck is talking about, and you know, I think the difference to me is some of the pieces of art in the convention center, where at Wynn you'll have some probably priceless vase from. China or some really cool ornate tapestry from Turkmenistan that Roger Thomas got off of a caravan, you know, coming down the Silk Road. (laughs) There's a great story to it. You know, here they've got a sculpture made out of Pez dispensers. So it's kind of that quirky, hipster-ish, but hipster-ish with money stuff. You know, the another thing that says a lot to me is the Droog furniture store down there (laughs) that boasts that their furniture is not functional. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, a chair made out of Legos. I'm like, hey, can I sit in it? No. Nope. Sure, as long as you weigh less than 120 pounds. But it's really cool to look at. You know, like, all right, I won't go in that. So, yeah, I think that's part of it is this kind of cool, hipsterish, retro. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia. I think it's very. There's almost sensory overload. There's a lot of different things coming at you, which I think is a real departure from that austerity of city center and that very. Brave, modern, modernist. I think it's really much more casual, and a lot like the experience they talk about the employees activating for the guests and curating that experience for the guests. The co-stars. Yes, the co-stars. Sorry, the co-stars. You know, I think there. I th- I can see that in the design of the building and the attitude that the co-stars are exuding. It's that same kind of informality, trying to be a little bit quirky, a little bit unusual. And we'll see how well you can do that for a three thousand room hotel. Yeah, I mean, clearly they're still ramping up uh, capacity wise. So, it, you know, we're seeing we're seeing one aspect of it with however many rooms are open, and that that's they still got a ways to go in their in their ramp up. I mean, one of the things that people have talked about is the footprint, which is obviously very small. I I think that they've done they've tried to use that as much to their advantage as they can, and I. I you know, other people have said this too, but I think that that is true. I mean, it really, it's, it's small, but they've made that, they've turned that into an asset. Um, it's easy to get from point to point. They've, uh, it, I think it, um, sort of concentrates a lot of the energy, 
uh, in the place. I mean, when it was full last night, it was it felt like it was really exciting, and you know, people obviously were um, excited to be part of the opening night. But I think that when they, you know, uh, when they have a busy weekend, it's really if you're really going to feel it in that casino, it's not going to feel like a, a warehouse that's sort of half full. Um, Jeff, you get a chance to walk around at all today? I did. I was able to look at the uh, first three common floors and um, check out your uh, suite here that does have an incredible view, probably unmatched from the, you know, um, in the city. I got to think this uh, northeast corner of the building, um, being able to look at, you know, the Eiffel Tower and Paris and certainly Bellagio and the lake and Caesar's Palace and north on the Strip. Um, it's, it's really a tremendous view. Um, I think there are some good um, and some questionable things here. I think, obviously, the location of the building, um, I think, is a big advantage. Um, and when I walked around inside the property, you know, it, you can tell it does have a strip orientation. It's right up on the strip. Um, you can get out and onto the strip quickly. Um, it's between Aria and Bellagio, not a, not a bad location um, to be at all. Casino is a little strange to me because it's so long. Um, it's 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 really an expanse in terms of length. It's not very wide. It's very unusual um, among casinos to typically um, range from you know big squares to big big rectangles. Um, this is really sort of you know a, a very long. I mean long narrow casino. Unusual, but um, you know the footprint demanded that. Um, I think I always like to talk about parking. I self-parked today and had no problem whatsoever. Um, I do foresee the potential for a choke point in the very narrow entrance and um, exit areas where they only have a couple lanes. Most um, Portica shares um, have much, many more lanes, um, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that at the, uh, the busy entrance and exit times. Um, I think that Another, I, I love the signage. Um, I'm going to take issue with, um, you know, Chuck's impression, and these are obviously subjective, but, you know, Chuck talked about sort of a, deline, a design philosophy, and maybe there is one, but I would say that if there is, it's a schizophrenic design philosophy because there's so, there, to me, it's sort of a melange of many different things. It's very busy. Um, I don't, you know, I, and, and I think that can be exciting and interesting. Um, I, I think it's very different from what you see at the uh, the true ultra high end properties in town. Um, mainly, I'm talking about Wynn and Encore and Bellagio. Um, this is this is very busy. A lot of light, a lot of chrome, um, and and. Uh, I'm not saying it's a negative, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not even saying I, you know, I don't care for it. What I'm saying is that it's, it's very busy. If you look at the decorations everywhere, to me, they are um, sort of a mix-up of different kinds of designs that may work well together. Um, I'm, I really haven't made my mind up about that. Some very, very cool things, cool furniture, cool stuff. Um, you know, I'm not sure about the target demographic. You know, in the casino business, it's the 40 to 70-year-old affluent males that make up the gambling customer. Now, casinos obviously have a, a need for all kinds of other spending, whether it's entertainment and, 
you know, obviously hotel room rates and food and beverage, all that stuff. But in the gambling customer, I'm, I'm curious to see whether they're going to be as interested in this, in this property as they are in, you know, the existing ultra high end properties. Um, well, that's int- definitely, uh, <clears throat> the, the people that they are going after their so-called curious class. That's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I will, before I forget, I will say, you know, I called to get, um, get, uh, housekeeping to come up and I asked them to do it and sort of double pronto and just gotta say, they did what I asked and they came up here, they came right as soon as I called and she was just cleaning the whole time and she just left. So very they did a very, nice. did a very nice job with that. Um, you know, this sort of curious class, which I think, Steve, in your interview, he referred to it as a psychographic instead of a demographic. Well, I mean, in my, my recent blog post, that's what I, was, I was looking at it saying, wait a second, is this really a thing? I mean, he's saying 59 million people. That's one in six Americans. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that, 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 is, that is honest face idiotic. And, um, and, and so, you know, that doesn't make any sense. But it sounds like it's a, it's a marketing thing more than a demographic thing. Um, the notion that they're going after customers that weren't already being pursued by Wynn or Palazzo, Venetian, or certainly City Center. I mean, the, inter- the interviews... Or Palms or Hard Rock. They're, they're interchangeable with the interviews we did last year with Jim Murren about, about the City Center. Um, so, I mean, it's not necessarily that they can't get it. And I think that this place has a better shot at those people than City Center does because of the fact that it is compact and people who are looking for a cosmopolitan experience will like the fact that they don't have to walk miles to get to their convention space or they don't have to walk miles to find find the restaurant they're looking for. And they do have all new restaurants that if you've been to Vegas before, you haven't tried these here. But if you've been to Vegas before, you've probably tried some of the, and you're that type of customer, you've probably tried some of those chefs at Bellagio. It was one of the most, the biggest disappointments I had about City Center was that there is so little new to the market other than the look of the place. And so, I mean, I don't know, I, I, I think that design-wise, I think this place is, is great. I really, I'm really very impressed. I, 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 I struggle to find things I don't like. I had a conversation with David Rockwell yesterday about the mirrored, um, pillars at Vesper, the, the basically the, the, the lobby bar, um, which I think look really cheap. I, I just think they look really 70s and, you know, disco era. It just it doesn't work for me. And he gave me some explanation for why it's so great. And that's terrific. You know, he has his, his view, and that's, that's great. Um, but, I mean, finding places and things that I don't like around here is harder than I thought. And I have to say that there's nothing more entertaining and in Las Vegas at all, then that sign <laughs> as you're entering the, from, from the crosswalk um, from the city center area that says Escalator to Bellagio. Right. It is wicked that they are like going to confuse people into thinking that you can really get to Bellagio easily by going through their casino. That's brilliant. I mean, cruel, brilliant. You know, oh yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I've got something. You know, uh, Steve was talking about city center. And when City Center opened, one of the things I said was, you know, if they're making, if City Center is about art and they've committed whatever, $60 million to their public art program, they should really go all out and turn those unsold condos in Veer into studios and have artists, you know, lure artists come here from Manhattan, from L.A., really invest in it. They've done that to an extent here at at Cosmopolitan with that P3 Commons and the P3 Studio. And I think that's really cool, you know, where City Center had these monumental art pieces of, you know, very serious 
stuff. This place has the Artomat machines, right. cigarette machines. It's got you know the artists kind of mingling with you out there. Feels more approachable than sort of this like you will appreciate this masterpiece that yeah. we're putting before you kind of it's, art that you see. It. It's it's on a human scale, you know. Uh-huh. And I think that's really the difference here, and I think that's what this place has the potential to be. Hopefully, I, they execute it. I I um, you know I'm a fan of a lot of the design things I've seen. Though I will say you you're mentioning the pillars at Vesper kind of made me reminded me that I have found several places where. They have great design interspersed with something out of like the Z Gallery catalog, and it's just that kind of you know that kind of brings it down a couple notches when I see a poster that you know is <laughs> is that you can get at you know it's like that that really I mean some of that stuff should probably not have made its way into the wall of a restaurant you know something that you would get at, literally at the mall I mean it just that that kind of to me ruins the illusion of the design that they're trying to that they're trying to project when you see something that you literally could get at Williams-Sonoma as, you know, their furniture, which is, it just, it doesn't really work for me, so it's a little bit of a disappointment, but those things are sort of few and far between. Um, Chuck, do you want to say anything else on the topic before we move on? Do we Are you even still here? I'm still here, you guys, let's move on. All right, so um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, some of the some of the newer, or newish, or maybe not new, but some of the things that they're trying here, and I, I mentioned this because... This morning, or I should say, let me go back, this last week when we were touring, there's a space on the third floor where they have these restaurants, and in the middle of this area, there's um, a bunch of furniture, and I was, you know, we were doing the tour, and uh, they were saying, look, look, this is the spot where people can come, we wanted it to be kind of a lobby vibe, where you can come and hang out, uh, you could relax, you could meet your friends, they've got, like, foosball tables, they've got a pool table, they've got 45s that you can play, it's kind of supposed to be like a hangout zone. It sounds like an interesting idea. Um, people, you know, it's 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 important to have areas for people to congregate and meet and that sort of thing. Um, we've seen in the past, though, I mean, I remember Bellagio opened with a ton of furniture in its lobby, and then we went through a long period where that was all taken out. Uh, they, <clears throat> they didn't want people basically hanging out there all day long because they were, I guess, abusing that idea. Um, Cosmo has it back. I went up there this morning and thought it would be nice to sit there and, you know, read the news, but unfortunately I discovered that there's no Wi-Fi up there. So um, that didn't work out very well. So that's something that they'll hopefully fix because that is a pretty big um, issue. So is this Wi-Fi thing, by the way, just so I understand, is it free throughout the building for all people? It is right now. I did, Yeah. I don't know if that's a permanent thing, but yes, right now they've got free Wi-Fi in most of the building. There are some places where it doesn't permeate. And you, they, you didn't guess? Yeah, I didn't pay. And there's no resort fee either. So, um, you know, they may change that, but if they don't, that's great. I mean, it's, it's super nice. Yeah, in the tour, they made a commitment to Wi-Fi in those public areas, so I don't know whether that's... I, you know, I assume that's something they could fix, but it really... Well, I mean, there was Wi-Fi on the fifth subfloor of the garage. Huh. That's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, Aria. it's great. I, pervade, <laughs> I mean, you know, I want that stuff everywhere, and they've gone a, a long way to do it, but, I, you know, I... I like the idea of having a spot to just kind of hang out that isn't necessarily, uh, you know, it's a little bit out of the way. You can, you can uh, go up there and meet your friends. But we'll see if those things take off and they end up being used. And go ahead, Dave. If I can interject, I was showing some people around town about two weeks ago, and I dropped them off at Aria to see a show. Um, and seeing how there's only one show there, a show. Um, <laughs> and I have ninety minutes to kill, so. Brought a book because I figured the Wi-Fi thing wasn't going to happen. So I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do work. I'll bring a book. I was really looking for a place just to chill out and relax and 
not happening, you know. Right. Um, really? Because I was reading in the uh, RJ that Jim Murren said that he put chairs and places to sit all over the place. Not That's very comfortable ones. There's a couple of benches up around the theater there and in the convention area, but nothing really comfortable. Right. Not like the stuff they have on the third floor here. It's not, not like... They, it seems like they're actively encouraging people to hang out and do it here, yeah. where at City Center it's like, you know, we know that we have to have a bench every, you know, thousand feet, so we'll put one in. Yeah. I, I you know, I had that same experience. Just to contrast the Wi-Fi thing, City uh-huh. Center has campus-wide Wi-Fi also, but you have to pay for it. Okay. So, um, it is an interesting contrast that Cosmo, they're trying to do it for free. At least they are now. Um, I did want to ask you guys, you know, I, I did speak with Steve a week or two ago, and, uh... We were talking about Cosmo opening in the economy and so on. And, of course, the, the headline from it was Steve Wynn referring to the Cosmopolitan as, quote, an extraordinary example of ill-conceived plans. Um, I, I, I wonder if you agree. Um, is, this, is this building that we're in, like, just a really bad idea from start to finish? Um, any, any thoughts? No more so than any other buildings, you know, up and down the strip. You know, obviously right now it's hard to have high margins on running a casino resort in Las Vegas, but, you know, no more so than any of the other ones, I don't think. And I think it's definitely taking a different approach. The narrow footprint, I think, gives it something in its favor, you know. Yeah. It's really cool to be able to go up to the convention center and not have to walk, 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 walk. I I think that's really cool. I think the one thing that, I think the only thing that would make it better here is if there was more places like it around and you'd have more of that buzz of people wandering in and going up here and then wandering down the street and going up there. Obviously, which is never going to happen, but, you know, I could see it being really special in an area where there's more of them. I I don't think so. You know, I think maybe it has problems in the execution. Maybe they can't scale the boutique elements up to a mega resort. Maybe it has problems with the general economy. Maybe they can't get their convention bookings. But I don't see it being a bad idea. I will. I would just say, I guess it depends on, you know, what, how you grade it. Good idea, bad idea. If the, if the, hurdle that they have to pass is Deutsche Bank makes its $4 billion back, well then, you know, he if you're grading it on that scale, then I think, you know, that's going to be a pretty tough one to muster. Um, if it's graded on, you know, customer satisfaction, if it's graded on, you know, a reasonable occupancy, a reasonable room rate, I mean, I think they've got as good of a chance as anybody um, to pull that off. Uh, they seem to be pretty aware of the kinds of people they're, they're going after, um, and they seem to be aware of sort of where they're targeting themselves and positioning themselves relative to the other resorts in town, um, they have a lot of a lot of hard work to do. I mean, if the economy doesn't improve, then their margin for error is very, very small. If the economy does improve, you know, everybody's margin for error gets quite a bit bigger. Um, but that, that's, that quote is just like one of those great things that you get from Steve Wynn, right, where he mm-hmm. just... And I'm sure he... Whether it means something or not, it's a great... Right, point. and, you know, he would never build a project like this. This is no. just... Not even he would even if he had the eight point seven acres or whatever he would never do it like this and maybe that's part of that he just it's hard for him to kind of and he's right he's so right about the access issue the parking I mean the parking once you get in there it's fine but you know the terror of like being stuck behind somebody whose car is stall I mean I mean there's so many ways that, that parking situation can go badly. Um, the other the other thing that I think is, is just sort of like a fundamental philosophical difference is that, you know, Murrin and MGM and now these folks believe that people the people they're talking about, these urban educated people, want an urban educated vacation. 
And Wynne says, no, they want flowers, they want light, they want pretty things, they want comfort. Um, and that's a very specific divide, and I suppose that if there really are significant populations for both, then the pie grows for Vegas. Yeah, yeah I, I think that um, the, the aesthetics um, are promising. Um, we'll see what the customer response is, but I think it will be pretty good. Um, but the financial aspect uh, is, you know, the biggest element, I think, in what Wynn's talking about, sinking $4 billion into an eight-acre casino. It, it's only, it's less than 3,000 rooms, um, originally designed for, you know, condo owners, uh, a, lo- a whole lot of them. Now they're down to a couple hundred, and we'll see how many people actually buy. I'm predicting not too many. But, you know, can this property ever be worth $4 billion? I mean, you know, if Bellagio is worth $10 billion or something. I mean, I just don't see, and I've, I've been saying this for a long time, I just don't see how they make this place pencil out financially. And in that regard, Wynn is dead on. I mean, he's absolutely right. Nobody in their right mind would build this place knowing it's going to cost $4 billion right now. Even then, it was ludicrous. Even when the economy was good, it was nuts. They thought they were going to recoup half the, the cost of building it by selling those condos. That hasn't worked too well anywhere. And in a single property company, obviously it was catastrophic and they had to, you know, it had to be sold back to Deutsche Bank through bankruptcy. In, you know, my expectation for the property has, has been, um, we'll see about the reaction of consumers and I'm not sure yet. I, I, you know, I, I lean towards liking it. Um, I think it's a good a good place to have in town. Um, there's some things they still need to do. They need to come up with an entertainment um, option um, aside from occasional shows um, to be a true Las Vegas resort. They need to have something in that in that space. I think their pool things look sort of cool. Um, especially the one overlooking the strip. I think that's nice. But, you know, financially, I think it is, a, you know, I just don't see how it can't be, you know, one of the catastrophic failures um, in Las Vegas. Well, the thing is, I think there's a difference between this and City Center, where City Center, the failures are very apparent. You know, you've got a half, you know, kind of sawed-off building there. Oh, <laughs> and so just billboard. imagine... Imagine you're going down the strip. Oh, what's that? Oh, that's the building that didn't get built. The <laughs> oh, what are those? What are those slanty buildings? Oh, well, that's condos and empty condos. <laughs> and then you know, yeah, maybe there's a good story going on with Aria, but you know, you've got those visual things there to remind you that yeah, this project isn't what it should have been. Whereas this place, you know, a year from now, if three thousand rooms are open, it's running as a hotel. Most people are they even going to care that yeah the, the condos fell through and this and that. No, and that doesn't matter yeah. to consumers. And, yeah. and the great thing about building a resort in Las Vegas, if it goes bankrupt, it doesn't mean that it sits empty and it closes. I mean, it's always, you know, I mean, unless the economy really tanked, a casino once a casino hotel, hotel resort opens, it's going to stay open. It's always going to it should always make more money. 
enough money to justify keeping the thing open. Now, whether it can pay its debt or, you know, make the owners a, a good return on their investment, that's another question. I can't imagine how this place would. Um, I will say that uh, a couple of things that are entertaining about the proximity to City Center. Um, a reporter for the RJ, who I will not name, shocked me last night by revealing that he thought that MGM owns this. And when I told him that it wasn't the case, he was really surprised. Now, that's a reporter who's been in the paper a long time who should have known that. Particularly if he was invited to this thing, he should have known that. But um, the public is going to think that. The public is absolutely going to think that it's all one thing. We've been saying that for years. Yeah. And, and, and it's so much more apparent now. And, you know, uh, a friend of mine who works at Bellagio was telling me they, they hired people specifically to – like, it was a joke that you guys have been making that they would be standing outside with, like, those, like, arrows. You know, arrows, right. Twirling arrows. But there are actually people hired by MGM to, to do nothing but stand at the bottom of the escalator by the Bellagio and tell people where to go to get to Bellagio. That's their job. I mean, I saw amazing. them this morning, actually. Cool. I, walked, I walked my wife back to Bellagio, and there was a woman there – Saying, this is the way in Bellagio. She's <laughs> handing out packets of it, or a little brochure of all the stuff that's in the hotel. Um, an official greeter lady that was just standing and, right there. And one of the things I'm going to say that, that Jeff made the comment about the gambling uh, being such a significant element, and it certainly, of course, is. But one of the things about Cosmo that I like a lot, and I wish other folks did, was the whole notion of their their identity program, where you can get points, you can get credit, you are rewarded for your loyalty if you're just a shopper or somebody who loves to eat. And, I mean, it makes so much more sense. I mean, if you want to encourage people, I always feel that way when I'm at the win or something and I pay for a meal at one of these restaurants, I think, well, why don't I get points for this? I mean, why not? It doesn't make any sense to me. Oh, I know a lot of people that... um love the hotel amenities, but they're not big gamblers. Right. And they're basically locked out of those programs that, but they're valuable customers mm-hmm. and they're not being tracked. They're not being catered to in the right way. Uh, you know, obviously the dollars might not be equivalent in terms of how much money that they're able to capture out of that, but they're obviously still uh, valuable customers. And I, I agree. It's, it's great that they're doing that. And I hope that catches on. Um, I want to talk real quickly about uh, entertainment because last night they did have a concert out at the pool deck. Um, you know, I thought this was interesting because it sort of demonstrated one of the their unique abilities to do something like this because they've got this pool that is on like the third or fourth floor that directly overlooks the strip and they've got a giant video marquee. So they set up a stage on the pool. They basically put, they covered over the pool so people could stand there. Uh, and they had a, you know, they had um, they had this, they had a band playing, and they are actually also broadcasting it on the marquee. And I believe plan to continue to do this. They've already said they're going to do it on New Year's Eve with their Jay Z Coldplay thing. But I thought I think that's really interesting, and I think that could be a real draw, especially if they could get big acts to play. It's a really, I mean, it's a small small environment. So if you could get some really popular band or whoever to to do it, I mean, that could really be a defining um, a characteristic that people think of the Cosmopolitan for thought it was really interesting to see how they executed that. Except they wouldn't, to see the marquee, you can't be in the property, you know, you're you, you'd right. on this strip. So, yeah, definitely. Right, but, but, it, but, it, but it caters to two different sets of people. People have to be in there to see the guy live, and the people who are outside who are thinking, oh, this is really an interesting thing. I think on New Year's Eve, that is so brilliant, because that's where people will congregate in the street. 
on New Year's Eve because and they'll pay pay all this attention to this hotel and they'll want to go in and see what it is. I I I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean uh, Planet Hollywood has had some good success when there are big news events, putting news events right. on, on their thing, like, like Obama's yeah, election returns or Obama's uh, inauguration or something like that. And um, you know, I mean, I don't know if it translates into money, but it it translates into like a little bit of, of consciousness. It, and this is like the much as they can get. The Venetian, with its uh, big entry area near the the bridge, um, they have, I think, a New Year's Eve um, broadcast at least a few years on one of the networks. It may be probably Fox. Um, well, why would we? Um, but but they uh, they have like their you know a, a stage set up, and I think they had you know some pretty good acts there, and people did congregate there. So I, I, I think Steve's right. I think it would be good for the PR for the. The property, I don't know that it raises, you know, too much revenue, but right. I, I think they need a, 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 you know, they need something that's there, you know, more than two nights a week. Oh, I agree. But on the flip side, they need something that works because you look next door and Viva Elvis has not been successful in bringing people into the property for a whole bunch of reasons. So I hope they do something really creative with uh, some kind of a resident show. They, if it was a go. good show, people would go. It's yeah. not about the, the marketing of it. It's that it's not a good show. What, Chuck? David Bowie. Oh, see? Yeah. There you go. They've got the, uh, well, they've got, you know, from what I hear, they're going to have more indie acts and stuff in that book and stage, which is right. going to be groups that have a good following but not a big following. Right. So that's kind of something different. The thing that I like about putting the shows in the marquee is that it shows they don't have a zero-sum mentality mm-hmm. where because you can see it in the street doesn't diminish the value of getting in there and getting your VIP thing. And, right. You know, so I really like that they're taking that attitude from the start. It's a tough market um, to try and book. You know, indie acts, niche acts, um, whether you're talking about, you know, modern modern rock, hip-hop, classic rock, um, or even more esoteric kinds of music, um, you have the Pearl, you know, the Hard Rock. Um, there are a lot of venues, the, the, the deck over at Mandalay Bay. Um, a, lot of, a lot of venues in town are aggressively pursuing those acts. Um, but, um, you know, this is, this is such a great location that um, it would be a shame if they don't come up with some kind of inspired choice. You know, the thing is about those well, the entertainment that a, a property has, look back at the classic art of Las Vegas. When you look at the photos of the hotels on the Strip, what really signifies sort of the time element and how good a property is, is the act that shows on the marquee. When you're seeing Bob Hope or Johnny Carson or you know, the Mills Brothers, or whatever it is you're talking about. It says something about the time and place, right. quality of the property. It does say something negative about Aria, that they have a dud for a show. Same thing about um, Luxor. Um, on the other hand, Mirage can point to not necessarily Terry Fader, but they have Love. And MGM Grand has had a, a, a pretty mixed record, but um, these properties that have fantastic shows... Um, it says something about them to the public about the property itself. And so they really need to point and, and try and get something compelling. Well, I'm also completely baffled that MGM Mirage, MGM Resorts, would build all of those hotel rooms, all of that capacity, that whole area, and one show. One right. show that's sometimes not even on. It's not even on every day of the week. I mean, how is it they don't have a proper venue for... 
for headliners and all that space. There's no room. Look at the Venetian. They they seem to come up with new showrooms all the time. <laughs> oh, look, there's a closet. Let's put a show in there. Venetian has been incredibly successful in its entertainment um, and food and beverage. I mean, I you have to give Adelson and his team credit. They have done a fantastic job for two properties, having like three or four great shows, plus a good live lounge, um, I think, in each property. They've done a great job. You know, one thing about Aria, when you look at their showroom, it's tucked away in the back on the second floor. I mean, yeah, people, you know, come down the escalator into the property and walk through the casino, and I'm sure there's some trackable amount of foot traffic that that generates. But look at Wynn, uh, you know, Wynn and... Encore, you know, sure that you know they don't always have Garth. They bring other acts in on big weekends. They but they do have Larev, and look at the foot traffic spilling into the casinos after that. After those shows go, look at Bellagio. Now their their showroom isn't right in the center of the casino, but there's discernible foot cra- traffic from O. And and you know, I just think that properties really need to capture that. And I, I know Aria has not done it well, and this place, I think, needs to. Uh, I don't disagree. Um, before we uh, do our sure bet segment, I just wanted to uh, go around and just do a little, another wrap-up, make sure that we uh, haven't missed anything important when it comes to Cosmopolitan. I mean, obviously, this is a story that's going to continue to unfold uh, over the next few months and years as we find out you know, how well they're able to execute on the... Uh, on the service front, but it's been uh, it's been an action-packed last few days. It was a lot of fun last night. I I think that they still have a, a lot to prove, but um, they've got a staff that seems to be legitimately enthusiastic. They've got um, a, a room product with uh, at least one unique amenity, which are these terraces and these views. Not every single room has a terrace, and most of them do. Um, and, and some of them face the Bellagio marquee too. Some of them don't have the greatest view, right? So it's not a, you, you want to make sure that if you're going to be uh, trying to get a great view, that you do whatever you can to uh, get on their good side. But um, it is a unique amenity that nobody else really can pull off. Um, there's a lot to see here. I'm like I said before, I'm excited about the restaurants. But is there anything that we didn't get that we didn't touch on that we shouldn't miss? Can anybody think of anything? Well, one thing I can think of is that. For, you know, that the casino owners always talk about smokers and how they can't afford to give up smoking in casinos. Um, for people who are smokers, the terrace rooms are such a huge advantage. I don't smoke. Yeah, they have a straight in here, too. But, you know, it's yeah. like if you're a smoker, and i got to think some of the visitors here may, not smoke, may smoke but not tobacco. But if you're a smoker <laughs> of anything... Um, having, in which case, the balcony might not be the best idea. Well, I mean, I, I just think having a balcony for smokers, I mean, i got to yeah. think smokers have to get up, you know, and leave the room a couple, you right. know, a few times a day, however often they need to smoke a cigarette or a cigar or whatever. They have to go downstairs and uh, into the casino. You know, having a, having a deck to do it on, I think that's a pretty cool thing for them. Um, doesn't help me, but good for them. Speaking of smoking, uh, my room at the Bellagio the, earlier this week, there was a sign, it was a non-smoking floor, and there was a sign in the hallway saying, 
This is a non-smoking floor. If you are found smoking, you will be dealt with accordingly. <laughs> or something like, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something like smoked. that. It was like this very vague, like, what are they going to do? Will they whip you or something? They smoke you. It was bizarre. Yes, exactly. That would be very appropriate. Um, Chuck, any uh, any last closing thoughts on Cosmo before we uh, before we wrap it up? Yeah, I want to open up just one small, short, little uh, lightning round discussion. How are we going to know? How, what kind of indicators are we going to see to see if there is Cosmos marketing? If their whole thing is actually working? What do we look at? Roommates. Well, and that's like the only one. I mean, I wrote a couple weeks ago. Roommates. And whatever they're willing to publicly disclose, and, and even that should be viewed, you know, um, critically. But they are private. You know, Deutsche Bank has more money than, um, you know, Miser. And so, you know, they, they don't have to release anything about the performance of this property in a public venue. Um, so it, it's going to be very difficult to get it, good information. And even room rates... You know, typically those surveys are sort of like rack rate um, inquiries. You know, you don't really know what they're doing in terms of, you know, like ARIA has pretty high occupancy, but they probably are filling the place, you know, with 40%, you know, comped offers to their customer database. Um, That can sort of, you know, room rate surveys are not everything either. So you can look, you can look at room rates, but, you know, they are not, they're not everything. I don't think we're going to know much about the performance of this place at all, other than, you know, subjective, critical views by people who actually know something, or you, Chuck, and Hunter getting uh, critical documents. internal documents <laughs> that can tell us how they're doing. You know, uh, when, I mean, uh, if we look at ARIA, there, I mean, obviously we had some uh, benefit of some extra insight, but there are definitely signs that anybody could look at. Restaurants are closed. All the time at RA. I mean, they a lot of them are now closed for lunch. They're closed for dinner on certain nights. If we start seeing that, that's obviously a sign that they've got a very, very weak uh, food and beverage situation. Um, you know, Jeff, obviously, yes, room rates. Um, but, yeah, table I think it, Sorry? Table minimum bets. Table minimum bets. Sure, uh, yeah. Other things, addition of resort fees. Various things get taken away. You know, let's say they start charging for the Wi-Fi and they start, right. you know, the, the books go away, the whole life mm-hmm. thing, start the book thing, dining. The, uh, right. you know, How crowded the parking go away here and there, they close down the uh, artist loft to turn it into a trinket shop, <laughs> you know, that's what I'm thinking about. Right, and those are, I think I agree, those are all indications that things, uh, things are sketchy, you know... Uh, when that your question made me think of another question, which is, what's the most likely thing in this building that they're going to change? What's the first thing that is going to be proven to be a mistake that didn't pan out? Um, I don't know. I might need a little bit more time to think about that before I have an answer. But you know, every every one of these things opens. They've got at least one thing that you're like, that's never going to work, and that they change them. The, you know, the ones that are smart change them and change them quickly. Um, I don't. Sorry. You think that one? Do you think that's a dud concept? Well, we'll see, man. If they, if they can't get it open. <laughs> yeah, I'm having I'm having dinner there tonight, so we'll find out if it's uh, if the food's any good at least. Uh, some of the that, I mean, some of the restaurant choices are um, hopefully not too far out there. I don't know. I think it's, as long as the food is good, they should hopefully find an audience. But. Uh, if John Unwin's still here a year from now, that's probably a better sign than if he's not. 
<laughs> yeah, I agree. All right. Well, I think we're going to go around the table and do our sure bets, which are our um, <clears throat> endorsement section of the show. Um, Chuck, I'll start with you. Do you have one today? If not, you can always pass. I'm going to pass today, but I'm going to. Okay, I'm not going to pass. What I'm going to do? My sure bet is I'm going to into the future. We're going to hop into a, a time machine and launch ourselves forward, farther, faster to the day that Dr. Dave. Jay Sarno book is released. <laughs> and that is gonna be my my sure bet because I read the first three chapters of it and it's awesome. So I'm sure betting into the future. Alright. Thank well, you. Very much appreciated. I uh, <laughs> I'm sure that you know our our listeners are probably right in your uh, in your target demo as far as the people that would be interested in a book like that. So yeah. well if any of them are uh, Publishers in New York, editors in New York. Yeah, exactly. They can uh, shoot me an email, and I'll get them in touch with my agent. And See, get done, this sorted right now. Deal. That day will be closer than we think. Does the show get five uh, percent? We uh, we It'll need to negotiate awesome. some kind of a yeah. fee. Um, all right, uh, Doctor Dave, you got a my sure bet is the most publicized thing about this casino, which was the secret pizza place. Mm-hmm, okay, which turned out to be really cool. Um, actually, went there. It's pretty is pretty neat. You know, $3 for a slice of pizza is not that bad. Mm. It was pretty reasonable and uh, really nice attitude in there. It was like a real kind of New York pizza place. They're tossing the dough. They're talking to you, playing uh, the final countdown by Europe and the sound system, and everybody's rocking out. Yeah. Um, Got the fake Galaga game in there, which is pretty cool. And uh, pinball, too. So, yeah, to me, that, that was really cool. And I think that's the kind of thing... They're going to have to do more of that for this place really to differentiate itself. But that's the kind of thing you would never see. I don't think you'd ever see that in Wynn or, Har- or Caesars or MGM. So I think uh, that's something they would bring in differently. Steve? Well, since you said endorsement, um, I'm going to give a huge endorsement shout-out to McCarran Airport because I dropped my, my license on the way out of town. Uh, and I had to have a friend FedEx me my passport in order to get back. And when we arrived back from our trip in New York, McCarran Airport had mailed me my driver's license. Wow. So if you're going to lose something, lose it there and have your name and address on it. It's a good idea, too. That's my endorsement for the moment. But if you're in New York, just so you know, there one of the things I loved about being in New York is how often you see things that are related to Vegas now. And that's kind of fun. You know, you see all these restaurants that you know the names of because they're all here now <laughs> and stuff. So that's fun, too. But particularly, um, you know, if you lose something at the airport, that's my endorsement. Go McCarran. Jeff. <laughs> well, for my sure bet, um, I'm going to recommend something that isn't here at the Cosmopolitan. Um, I think that they've made a mistake uh, not including a couple elements that are in most casinos, a uh, traditional sports book. They do have sports betting by a... Uh, Cantor Gaming's handheld um, devices, which I think are good and will end up being an element of uh, most casino sports books in the not too distant future. But I think that a real sports book where they have games, and I mean a multitude of games, on a bunch of monitors, um, displayed LED screens showing showing the lines, um, a lot of comfortable seating. Um, that is a traditional Las Vegas venue. It helps make this city, um, it, you know, this city lives on its weekends for some of the big weekends during the year. And among those are sports-oriented weekends like 
the Super Bowl, um, the first weekend of the NCAA round of 64 in men's basketball, and every subsequent weekend till they get to the Final Four. Um, it also includes um, NFL playoffs, any NFL weekend, college football weekend. Sportsbooks are vibrant, great places to go. Um, packs of men, packs of uh, you know big sports fans come to the city for that. Um, they're missing out here now. Maybe that's not their target psychographic, but I think it's a psycho mistake. Um, the same thing is true for a poker room, um, just for a flavor. Um, you know, they're not going to take business away from, you know, uh, Aria and certainly Bellagio and Venetian and the big rooms in the city. But have a, have a room with a few tables. Um, it allows people to play if they want. They don't have to leave the property. Um, I think that there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of that flavor. So I'm going to recommend the traditional Las Vegas sports book. It's an awesome asset for any casino, and not having one is a big mistake. All right. Thanks, Jeff. My sure bet actually is going to be um, something here at the Cosmopolitan. I had lunch today at Holstein's, uh, which is like their basically like high-end burger joint. Um, and it was really, really good. My, it was uh, I had a duck confit um, injected uh, cheeseburger that um, was super tasty. I would totally go back. I actually enjoyed it more. I've been to a couple of these other places like BLT at the Mirage, and I enjoyed this more. Uh, and I would definitely come back. It was uh, it was really tasty. The service was good. Got in and out quickly. So um, if you're looking for some food and you're at Cosmo, you should at least consider it. Do you like that name? Um, do I like the name? I'm Whole sort of scenes. indifferent towards the name. I don't like. I don't like thinking about where the meat comes from. Name it the dish of the day. There you go. Um, all right, that's it for today. I want to thank everybody for being here. I'm going to quickly go around the table so you can tell people where they can find you. Chuck Monster, where can people track you down? People can track me down right now on the second to the left lane on the. Awesome. All right. Dr. Dave, where can people find you? Um, at UNLV Gaming on Twitter or gaming.unlv.edu or diescast.com. Mr. Jeff Simpson, where can people track you down? Two Way Hard 3 and uh, on uh, Hunter's blog. And uh, right now in a suite with one of the uh, better views in Las Vegas. Mr. Steve Freese, where can people find you? Uh, my blog is VegasHappensHere.com. I tweet it at the Ship Podcast. And, of course, every week we do the Ship Podcast at theshippodcast.com. Excellent. You folks can find me at RateVegas.com. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Uh, happy, Merry New Year, Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Hanukkah's over. Don't worry well, about that. Well, uh, you know, I didn't... Retro, retro. Yeah, retroactive, yes. <laughs> so, uh, good, happy holidays, I think, is what they say these days. Um, all right. Well, yeah, if you hate Christmas.